With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. We're going to be continuing in what I started last week. I started a lesson concerning the question of salvation. And I, I put it that way because... Um, when you're doing a lesson such, uh, such as this where you're looking at uh, man's way or God's way, it's not a negative. Uh, now, there's some things about man's way that's certainly negative or uninformed, but as the subject of salvation is certainly never a negative. It's a positive. And the question concerning salvation also begs an answer. Is salvation attained God's way through the terms of pardon or man's way, the teaching of Calvinism and its five points or some other teaching? I am imploring you to choose God's way and reject man's attempt to systemize religion for his own purpose. Typically, that's where it ends up. Uh, One of the biggest problems we have in organized religion is the separation between the so-called clergy and the so-called laity of the church. That separation doesn't exist in the scripture, and yet it's like a given in the world we live in. That's where the purpose of man enters into these systemized religious uh, situations. They're used as a hammer uh, and a crowbar instead of being the relief that we, we should have. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm giving you two ways, God's way or man's way. The very fact that we and, and uh, that you and I are able to choose between two ways destroys the very foundation of Calvinism's first point, which is total depravity of man, and that means the inability of man to, I'm going to use the phrase they use, save themselves. Well, that's true, isn't it? We're not able to save ourselves. We're not able to remove our sins but are we able to do something that will cause that to happen? You see, there's where the rub comes. In other words, the inability for man to choose the right way. Well, some people don't care about the right or the wrong way when it comes to this because they don't feel they've done anything wrong um, and they're not interested. So, But you and I have the ability to do so if we so wish to do What we need is to have the desire to seek God's way and to help others to have a desire to find God's way of salvation. 
Now, when, it, when we're thinking about salvation, we're thinking about being punished by God for being a sinner. Or we wouldn't even consider salvation. Salvation from what? You know, we live, we die, that's it. Well, many people live that way. That is, until they get really sick or really old, then they start, then they start to realize and they know that things are going to be different. And that's, that's when we know, because we know as people that we are a created being, and we know that, <clears throat> that when these bodies are gone, it doesn't mean things are over. But many people are hoping that they are. So this is a, this is a very um, interesting subject to me, of course, uh, as an evangelist. But in, on a technical level, and that's what I'm dealing with here, concerning the Word of God versus man's system. Now, I said I wanted to say more about the first point of Calvinism. We talked about it quite a bit last week, and I will. Now, this point is the T of the tulip. Remember on our, our screen or our sheets that we got, if you don't have a sheet, they're back on the table. The five points as I got, and on the, on the left side of the sheet is man's way, on the right side is God's way, and they're listed one through five. And I've, I've taken the liberty of putting them in the right order and then comparing them one to the other as far as the, the points go. And it works fairly good. I wouldn't say it's perfect. Um, there's a lot of blend here. But the, uh, the, the idea is that this T, this total depravity of man, the, the worst thing that happens that I didn't mention last week is that it completely removes the power of the gospel on man. And it really makes useless the scriptures in, in general. The very way man comes to know God is through the scriptures. That when they come to know who man is through the scriptures and to find redemption for their sins through the scriptures. If not, we don't have any sin. But the scriptures say that we do. The scriptures tell us who God is, who we are, and the end of things, and the beginning of things, and all the things that we need to know about. But you see, the idea of being totally depraved eliminates the power of the scripture in our lives. I can't stand for that. I believe that's false. Matter of fact, it, it, it doesn't pass any test uh, for me, and especially, especially the one of, of logic. Now, logic's not man-made. We've, we learn what logic is through God's Word. That's logical. It's us that goes off into the, the mystic end, okay? Logically, I can't buy it. God says mankind, even though they have sinned, can follow divine guidance. Let me share with you a passage. Isaiah, the first chapter, verse 16 through 20. Now this is, Isaiah is just beginning his, his, uh, his writing here. Isaiah 1, 
16 through 20. Now, of course, he's talking to the Jewish people. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. That's what God says. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment, gladness, and oppressed, the oppressed. Do justice to the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith Jehovah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and hearken, you shall eat good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of Jehovah has spoken. Now, God speaking to mankind there. Does it sound like mankind has no choice in his own life? Or is God saying they did have a choice? They did have a choice. They do. Now, he said that to the Jews. But what of the, what of the power of the apostolic preaching of the gospel? In Romans uh, chapter 1, what the apostle says concerning the gospel message and the gospel itself, which, of course, is, is the message of Christ, the terms of pardon are, are delivered by the apostles after Jesus has, has went back to his father. But here, in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 16 and 17, the apostle says, For I am not ashamed of the glad tidings. That's the gospel. For it is God's power unto salvation to everyone that believes, both to Jew first and to Greek. For righteousness of God is revealed therein on the principle of faith, to faith, according as it is written, but the just shall live through faith. Now, I see there a real message of a powerful gospel. What is the gospel? What was it the first time you became aware of it? Was it something you read? Was it something you heard? I'd say I'm sure I heard it before I read it, uh, but I can't tell you when uh, or which it was because it's been just been too long ago. But even if I heard it, I found myself reading it too. And I read it and I read it and I heard it again and that's how it is. Let me give you an example of the power of words. The scripture has, an, has quite an account in Genesis. When Satan spoke to Eve, remember that? As the serpent. He spoke to Eve and he, he wanted to encourage her to go take from that tree that God had said, you shall not touch or even look at it. Just That tree is not for you. You stay away from it and the fruit on it apparently.
Is there anything else Satan did other than simply tell her that with words? If you can find anything in the Bible that will show me that somehow he did something else other than just encourage, motivate, I say, motivate and deceive her with misquoting God by removing a word, things of that sort, or adding a word in that case. Is there anything in there that would tell you that it was anything more than just his word? I can't find it. Don't think words are powerful, friends. This is the words of Satan. Now, or so then, what of the power of God's words that we find in Scripture? The word of God, the gospel message. Do you suppose if Satan's words, even though they were lies and deception, were powerful enough to cause Eve to sin, knowing she was not supposed to do it, knowing it was against God's will, do you suppose that God's word could remedy that very same sin? I think it's a good, a very good word picture, if you will, about the power of the word of God, the power of the scriptures. Now that's something else about the first point that I didn't talk about last week. Thus, still, I still believe the first point of Calvinism is shattered. And the rest of them, the rest of the points will fall the same way if this point be invalid, and it is. And we'll have other things to say about the first point through this, because it keeps coming back to this idea uh, of man. Does he have a choice? The idea of free will or predestination or some other phrase that is mixed in you know, man has tried to make a uh, psychological explanation for what we find in our lives. Let's move on to the second point this morning. The point is called the U of the tulip, unconditional election of God. And that's just what they believe. Unconditional <laughs> That's, that's pretty stern. Uh, election of God. And of course that's concerning man. And it, but it's going to be versing what I feel across the page is the idea of believing. And I think that there's a real loggerhead right there in this. Believing, of course, are, is uh, the second point of God's terms of pardon, if you will. You, we hear and we believe, and we move on through this. In man's theology, that is Calvinism, God has predetermined who is saved and who is lost apart from anyone's decision to obey the gospel. How can this be true? Well, it's not. It's not true. But nonetheless, many people believe this. Um, And they believe it their whole life. 
But somehow they convinced themselves that they are the chosen ones. They are the predetermined ones. They are predestined for salvation. And it's only when they run out of time, run out of health, run out of whatever they're running out of, and their life is coming to an end, do they ever consider in a very, very heavy way that maybe, if that's true, maybe I never was elected for salvation. And to me, that's a horrible experience that people go through. Calvinism states that they are correct in their doctrine because of the sovereignty of God. Well, the sovereignty of God is true. Didn't Jesus say of his Father, with God all things are possible? Of course they are. Not only that, that would, that would open the door to the fact that as God has said of himself, he knows the end of a thing before the beginning starts. That's who we're talking about here. Does God know? Does his foreknowledge then remove your choice? Well, that's the debate, isn't it? That's the debate. Now, they claim that the, the sovereign nature of God causes him, and you see, I, I can't deal with it. There aren't, the th- there aren't uh, situations that are going to force God to do anything one way or another. That doesn't exist in reality. But nonetheless, they, because of his sovereign nature, which makes him a smaller God, in my estimation, than the one that I serve, the one that can do all things, This sovereign nature causes God to have to predetermine the saved and the lost. In other words, he takes your choice away because how can he control things, you see, if we had the ability to choose? But we're told we have the ability to choose. Go back to Genesis and uh, right after the, uh, uh, the sin of Adam and Eve, And you'll find that Cain, Cain had bad thoughts of his brother, about his brother, jealous of his brother, jealous that his brother was was uh, loved God more and brought the best things instead of just enough, as Cain had done. And God came to him with the idea that he needed to change his ways, and if he did things would go right for him. Does that sound like predestination to you? No. This is how God deals with man. We're encouraged. That's what Isaiah said in the the passage I read. Stop doing these evil things and go the other way. These, These are the great truths of the idea of God's relationship with man. I don't know why this idea of predestination ever really come across uh, and was ever accepted in any way. A man made a, a quote, I think is awfully, uh, is, awfully uh, is, is very timely and, and very true. 
because the idea of foreknowledge is where a lot of stumbling is done. The foreknowledge that God has. Of course he has foreknowledge. He says he does. But foreknowledge no more determines man's final destiny than an accurate weather forecast has in causing tomorrow's weather. You see the, see the parallel there? We, we're getting the cart before the horse, aren't we? We're forgetting who man is. Man is not the worm that I talked about last week that's in some of our older hymn books. We're not worms. We're the ones that God sent his only begotten son to die for so that he may have fellowship and live with us, his creation. Remove our sins. There's a passage that I want to share with you this morning out of Genesis chapter 22. It concerns concerns the free will of man and the true nature of God. This is God revealed in the scriptures. Genesis 22. It's the story of uh, Abraham and uh, in his uh, testing he had. uh, Genesis 22, 9 through 13. I'm slow turning the pages here. Okay, verse 9. As you'll remember, God had told Abraham to take his son and offer him on the altar. That meant to kill him on the altar. God had told him so. And Abraham was obeying by taking his son and the things, provisions to do just that out into the country. And verse 9, And they came to the place of which God had told him. In other words, he told him where to go. And Abraham built an altar there and piled the wood. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of Jehovah called to him from the heavens and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Stretch not out thy hand against the lad, neither do anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And on it goes. Do you see what the important verse there? Where the angel, speaking from heaven, of course, the the very words that God would have spoken. And he said, I know that thou fearest God. thine only son. Now, does that mean that God didn't know? You see the the thing we have here? Abraham was tested, but why? Why was he tested? If 
God already knew that he would go ahead and do it. Why, why the test? I'll think, I, I think we, we know the answer. And I think we, if we think about this uh, long enough, we find that the true nature of God is that we, do, we truly do have free will. We truly can choose ourselves. It's not restricted. It's not manipulated by God. Did God manipulate Abraham? No. Abraham was told to do what, um, to sacrifice his son, told him where to go. He went there. He had the knife in his hand and was ready to do what it takes to make an offering on the altar. And the angel's voice from heaven stopped him, and God said what he said. Now I know. That's what God said. Now you look the grammar up there, and you'll find that that word know is, is the word for know. A, a learned, a something learned from the experience of what had just transpired has just transpired. I think that's a pretty strong text concerning this whole idea of the unconditional nature that they're, are, they're promoting. You know, <clears throat> the other thing, of course, is that <laughs> just looking at it, it, it makes no sense of anything having to do with religion whatsoever. And, and by the way, why would God even put on such a puppet show as a predetermined uh, world full of men? How long does it take before you're bored with that? You know, we don't like that at all. We don't like things like that. We get very tired of something. We know what's going to happen next. We stop doing that. We go somewhere else, do something else. How much more would God... So, unconditional election of God is predestination. But we find that predestination is only in Christ. The saved are predestined in Christ, in one body, in one faith. So, as, as those that oppose Calvinism have always said, it's the way of salvation that's predestined, not the person. Does that make sense? Of course it does. Uh, Because it's uh, the very uh, heavy thinking by people that are trying to do the right thing. Next to the idea of believing. You see, believing is where this occurs. Believing is where man makes the choice. Because you can be unbelieving or believing when it concerns, concerns God. Uh, Mark 16, 16. What does Jesus say about believing? Mark 16, 16. He who hath believed and hath been baptized shall be saved, and he who hath not believed shall be condemned. Why isn't this the, the topic? of the Calvinist doctrine, the idea of believing. It seems to have no place. If, if things are predetermined, you're believing or not believing, you can't trust your own decision then, right? 
What if you're a believer and you're lost anyway? Because it's a gamble. You don't know until it, it comes about. Believing is important. I'm going to read you another. Uh, this is probably about as far as we'll get here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> we have to read these passages because they make the point um, that is so critical. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 is a wonderful teaching tool for not only the doctrine, the truth of um, uh, the truth of God's relationship to man in, in the gospel, and also it, it's a proof text of how to read the scripture and not get mixed up. These first verses within, I'm going to tell you ahead, ahead of time, so you'll, you can pick it out yourself. Things that are said here from verse 3 uh, right up to verse, at the end of uh, verse 12, have to do with the apostles of Christ and them alone. How do we know that? Because the grammar makes it absolutely clear. And then verse 13, we find the believers coming in. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, blessed us, first person, plural there, that is the apostles, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him, before the world's foundation, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, having marked us out beforehand for adoption through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath taken us into favor in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of offenses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has caused to abound towards us in all wisdom and intelligence, having, been, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself for the administration of the fullness of times to head up all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth, in him, in whom we have also obtained an inheritance, being marked out beforehand according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who have pre-trusted in the Christ. All of that is concerning the apostles. How do I know it's the apostles? Well, the grammar is clear. The pronouns are clear all the way through it, that, are, that it comes back to the Paul the Apostle and the apostles later on spoken of in this chapter even. But who is it that was, um, who is it that was 
made known the mystery? Was it not the apostles alone? Of course it was. We're speaking of the apostles here. They were the ones that had the administration in the fullness of time, that is, in the end time of the covenant, to head up all things in the Christ. Is that not the apostles? Or is that everyone? It's the apostles, friends. Now here's where the, 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 uh, the believers come in. At the end of verse 12, as it continues on, by the way, this is one long sentence, no, no punctuation, no breathing, no place to stop, really, except I have to. Verse 13, those that had pre-trusted in Christ, that's the apostles, in whom you also have trusted, having heard the word of the truth, the glad tidings of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the earnest of our inheritance to the redemption of the acquired possession to the praise of his glory. Having heard the word of truth, these are the terms of pardon, friends. Hear and believe. What happens? You're changed. You know, as I read that scripture, I, I realize where a lot of this predestination thing came from. If you take it out of the context that it was written, and who it was written from, and two, when you mix that up and stir it all up, you get the idea that everyone in Christ is predestined then. But everyone is predestined in Christ because that's where salvation is predestined, in Christ, nowhere else. And, of course, that's mentioned uh, more times than anything. Everything is in, in Christ, through Christ. And, and that's very true. The apostles also were in that. I hope you see the weight of this as it concerns the idea of believing. When we believe, we're on the road. And once we have heard the gospel and we believe the gospel and believe the word of God, it brings us to the concept of repenting, which is the the next item in the terms of uh, pardon. But before we close this out, well, there are other scriptures too you can read. Uh, Acts 4, 28. Uh, Romans 8, 20, 29 and 30 speak of predestination in the same way with the, with the, with the apostles being the subject. Ephesians 1, 3 through 13, I just read that. Now let's look over to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Same context. Yeah, 2.13. And for this cause we also give thanks to God unceasingly that having received the word of the report of God by us, you accepted not men's words, 
but even as it is truly God's word, which also works in you who believed. It's got to be God's word that we believe, friends. It's got to be God's word that saves us and not men's. I'm simply repeating men's words or God's words as it, as it confronts the words of men. God predestined the plan, not the man, if you want to rhyme it. Uh, it's, it's the same concept. He chose the terms of pardon through his son, Jesus Christ, not those who would become obedient to the terms, but the terms themselves God chose. He did not choose those that would be obedient. Does he know? I imagine he does. But those are the mysteries of God, right? There are mysteries of God. We don't understand God. We can't understand him fully. So we can't say, prove to me that you are sovereign. Prove to me that you know a thing before it begins. We can't say that, nor should we. This is clearly seen. All around us, we, man, has no one to blame for our lost estate but ourselves. It wasn't God. God didn't say we were going to be lost, and so we have no chance. That's not the the Bible in any place. And we need to rid ourselves of that thinking and put the blame where it belongs. It's our unbelief our uncaring nature that will cause us to be lost. And I'll leave it off right there for today, for we've run out of time. And there's nowhere to stop, unfortunately. Uh, But we'll continue on. So uh, we, we pray that these things will resonate with you this morning as we go through this and be able to put, put to rest this, at least in our own minds, that we can explain it and help others in the same way. So let us have our song of invitation at this time and consideration for the things of God. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.